Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we are going to get into the nitty gritty of how do you parent a child who has both anxiety and ADHD, that or even ADD, having dual diagnoses, or even having a child who has anxious issues and some hyperactivity or inability to focus, whether they have a diagnosis or not, can be super tricky as a parent. And I often get asked, Natasha, do you have any resources on how to help a child who has anxiety and ADHD or and ADD? And unfortunately, I really don't. I have a couple of articles and that's pretty much it. I I haven't done a podcast on how to help a child with both issues. I have a podcast on unrealistic expectations people place on kids with ADHD, and that can be really helpful. That's episode eight. And I do have an article that is called The Link Between ADHD and Anxiety and Why Anxious Kids Can Be Misdiagnosed with ADHD. But I don't have an episode that just talks about how do you raise a child who has both anxiety and ADHD. And it is really not my area of expertise. My kids don't have ADHD and I treat primarily anxiety and OCD. Some kids come in with the ADHD component, but it's not my hyper-focused. So see what I did there? (laughs) You got to tolerate my cheesy jokes. So I invited Angela Pruis to the show because she is a friend and colleague of mine. She is the creator of Parents with Confidence, and we actually have a lot in common. It's kind of interesting because she is really a mirror image to me. She is a mom to three kids, two who have some extra needs that um, she works on that's similar to me and my children. And she is also a licensed family therapist for 14 years, like almost the exact amount of time that I have been a therapist. So we are on very similar paths, but she understands ADHD on a much deeper level than I do because she has a child who struggles with it. So she was an awesome resource to bring on. We've been, I've been wanting to bring her on for quite a while. And Angela and I have been talking about collaborating, working together more often to put our superpowers together for good. (laughs) This is our first of probably many collaborations in working together and helping you guys with both of our skills. So in this episode, she goes into how can you tell if it's anxiety or ADHD? What are the symptoms of ADHD or ADD? And some practical approaches of what you can do when you're raising a child with these struggles. So you definitely want to check out her website. Her website is parentswithconfidence.com, and I will leave it in the show notes as well. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Angela. Well, I want to welcome Angela to the show. We are going to be talking about some really important topic that I don't talk enough about. So thanks for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and we're going to get all into anxiety and ADHD. And it's actually a topic a lot of people have asked me to talk about. And so tapping into your expertise and hearing what you have to say is going to be super awesome. So before we begin, can you tell people a little bit about you? Yeah, of course. So um, my name is Angela Pruce, and I am a child therapist, just like you, and have been working with kids for about 15 years now. 
I have a background. I've always known I've wanted to work with kids, have a background in child psychology and child development and have been working in private practice for about 14 years now. Um, And then just a few years ago, decided to try and expand my level of support to parents whose parenting journey was not necessarily unfolding in the way that they expected it to. Um, And I started my website, which is Parents with Confidence. And there I write a lot about all sorts of different topics relating to raising an emotionally healthy kid. So I write a lot about um, emotional intelligence, helping kids to identify their emotions, learn to find good ways to handle and cope with their emotions, um, positive discipline, how parents can handle big behaviors in a way that won't leave, um, you know, emotional scarring behind, um, growth mindset, using mindfulness and play and art and all of those things as ways to um, keep good good mental health. So um, I support parents through there. And then I also started a little side page on Facebook called Children's Mental Health Rocks because I also write on Parents with Confidence about children's mental health. And it's really an area that um, is always on my heart, um, almost literally on my brain and heart because, you know, similar to you, um, I've had the experience that I've been doing this in my career for as long as I can remember. And then also my life um, imitated my my career. And I have three awesome kids now and two of whom have this overlapping set of um, challenges and awesomeness that is ADHD and anxiety. So um, that's been very cool to you know have these experiences myself. Of course, it's been challenging, um, but being able to have those experiences and really come alongside parents and walk with them on the journey in a different way and that way has been pretty cool and pretty rewarding um, with the insights that that's lended itself. So my page, my Facebook page has been a good place to be able to support parents specifically with these concerns with anxiety and with ADHD and sensory processing um, with the Children's Mental Health Rocks Facebook page. Yeah, that's awesome. I had no idea we had so much in common. <laughs> like, like that's like like that's, almost identical. That's an identical story to me. That's so funny. Yeah, like right down yeah. to the three kids and the 15 years in practice. So yeah, we are we have very parallel stories. So I wanna get into the ADHD component, although it sounds like you'd be great to have to come back because your website is like just a wealth of information and um, you know, behavior is a huge issue for people too, but you have the experience with anxiety and ADHD, something I, I, I don't have in my house. Although I think my son could easily be misdiagnosed with ADHD because of how he acts. So could you, can you tell parents how ADHD can look like anxiety and, and how to know the difference? Yes. So I think it's helpful to kind of, to start with just a basic baseline idea of what ADHD is and how that presents. Um, So ADHD is what's known as a neurobiological condition. So it's something that we're born with and it's something that um, affects us neurologically or it affects our brains, um, both in the structure of the brain and in the function or the way our brains work. And essentially the skills that are impacted with ADHD are a set of skills known as executive functions. So really 
you know, to describe these skills and give them the full weight that they deserve, executive functions are, um, you know, really the tasks and the skills that it takes to get through life, you know, day to day. So a kid who's struggling with executive functions is going to struggle with executing or managing all sorts of things day to day. Um, really big things like managing and executing their attention, managing their behavior, managing their emotions, um, managing and controlling their thinking. So these are all such huge things that are under this umbrella of executive functioning that are in the frontal lobe, which are affected by ADHD. So, you know, these things play out, um, you know, fairly consistently, but there are little differences in ADHD that many people don't know about. There's actually three subtypes of ADHD. So the first one, the one that most of us would think of, I think off the top of our head when we picture what, you know, an ADHD child might look like, um, is the hyperactive subtype. So this is the kid who seems to be always needing to move, craving large motor movement, um, driven by a motor, not stopping, just go, go, go. So you'll see the hyperactivity piece there, of course. And then also you'll see impulsivity. And that is a characteristic that is in each diagnostic um, category in each of the three subtypes. So you have the hyperactivity and you have the impulsivity, or very quick acting. More acting, less thinking. Act first, think later. Is how a really, you know, big way that you'll notice that is that parents will see their child is doing that, doing things over and over just without thinking, like, well, what are you doing? You know, or we just talked about this and stop and think, you know, why are you not thinking about this? And it's because they can't in that moment. That's how that impulsivity impacts them. So that's the first subtype. The second one is inattentive ADHD. And this is more of what you would consider kind of the dreamer, somebody who is struggling to attend to whatever the stimuli might be. They don't have that hyperactive piece, but they do have, they can have the impulsivity. And what both of these subtypes have in common, which is a huge thing that gets missed so often, I think, in resources and even in the, you know, diagnostic manual, is the struggles that these kids have managing their emotion. Because ADHD is a a regulatory disorder, so a regulatory condition. So it's really looking at how we, how our brain is able to regulate or manage, again, these different components. And emotions, it's just a huge part of day-to-day life. And when we struggle to manage our own emotions, you know, internally, as well as what's going on around us, and, um, you know, that just comes up so frequently in day-to-day life with, you know, big, big behaviors, big tantrums, big meltdowns, explosions, you know, aggressiveness, all that kind of stuff is, is a mainstay of ADHD that gets missed a lot. So that's a commonality between the two types, between all three types, because then the third type is just the combined type. So you'll see kids who have characteristics of both, both of the initial subtypes. So So that's, you know, in a nutshell, kind of an overview of how ADHD is conceptualized. And then, as you mentioned, 
you know, it's so easy for kids to be misdiagnosed one way or the other with ADHD or anxiety because so many symptoms of ADHD hold true for anxiety as well. So when we're looking at things that overlap or are in common for kiddos with ADHD and kiddos with anxiety, we're looking at that struggle again to to manage or control our emotions and for different different reasons, sometimes the same reasons and sometimes different reasons. So, um, you know, you do see excessive emotionality with kiddos with anxiety, right? And this can play out with anger as one of the biggest ones, right? You see that quick, quick anger and reactivity, that emotional reactivity. And the other, the other way that it plays out emotionally, um, you know, with anxiety, you see the excessive, maybe crying, kind of more of the apprehension and the sadness. But um, with, you see that explosiveness, that reactivity, that intense expression of emotion is one thing that you definitely see um, when you're with either, either or. Um, Another thing would be you know, being able to focus and being able to, you know, attend to what you need to do and things to, you know, little small day-to-day tasks that you need to do to get to point A to point B, right? Because if you're stuck in an anxious brain, if your, you know, emotion brain is kicked in and working too hard, that thinking brain, where again, is the, where the executive functioning tasks are housed is not going to be able to be fully accessible because we're anxious. So we're not going to be able to, you know, always grab our backpack, remember, use, you know, working memory to remember what we need to bring. And we need, we didn't grab our notebook off the kitchen counter and we need to put that in X, Y, and Z into our backpack. And those kinds of skills are going to suffer, be affected with anxiety as well, in addition to ADHD. So some of that executive functioning stuff definitely um, <clears throat> overlaps. And when you look at the emotionality and when you look at the difficulty with focus, it can be, and you know, emotional reactivity due to being anxious and having your nervous system be like this and, you know, then reacting to any kind of incoming stimuli can look a lot like impulsivity with ADHD. So those are some main areas where you really see overlap. Yeah. So I wonder how, how you differentiate, because I, I agree, you know, they can look so similar and you can have a child who is not being able to focus because they're sitting there in their brain, worrying about all these thoughts. Um, You know, is my mom going to come back and pick me up? And so that child can look like they're, they're daydreaming or zoning off, or I can forget my backpack because I'm so worried about throwing up at school that day. And so the outward behavior can look so similar. And I know for a lot of the kids I work with, and definitely my son, you know, when he's anxious, he's just, he's dysregulated. So he looks impulsive. He looks aggressive. He looks out of control. He looks super hyper. So Mm-hmm. How how can parents tell the difference or how diagnostically, how can you rule one in or rule one out? Yeah, so this is a really tricky thing. You know, I am a con- trained clinician. I 
do this with parents and I've done it for years. And it's been hard sometimes to tell the difference of, you know, the whole issue of kind of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. It's been hard to decipher that at times in my own, in one of my own children. And, you know, it's so common that it's the statistics are around 50% of adults who have ADHD will have the coexisting diagnosis of anxiety. And with kiddos, it's a little bit less, I think 30 to 40%. Um, But it's a lot. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher than that. Um, Just because the presentation of ADHD neurologically just lends itself to those, that excitability and those, you know, it it works our emotion brain pretty hard. It kind of keeps that nervous system kicked into gear, so to speak. So it really does, um, tend to go along with some anxiety symptoms. And I think paying attention to a few specific things and really trying to zero in on, okay, does this seem more along the lines of, you know, is this something that's always there and always been there where, you know, we get that neurobiological component with ADHD, something that's that's pretty consistent throughout a child's life. There'll be little ups and downs and ebbs and flows in functioning undoubtedly, but for the most part, those things are with that kiddo when they go to school, when they're with peers, when they're at home, and they're pretty consistent, um, you know, throughout the development. And with anxiety, that will look a little bit different, right? So maybe these things have been, they could have been always there to some degree, but, but maybe not, you know, often anxiety will pop up during a particular developmental phase, um, or with, you know, when life intersects with, you know, an environmental stressor and you'll see an onset of symptoms that aren't familiar and that you haven't really been dealing with is a good indication. Um, but also I think with, in regards to emotion regulation, I think, you'll see in addition to anger and reactivity with anxiety, you also see more of, like we mentioned before, the excessive sadness and crying. So that, you know, what happened? We were fine one second ago and now you're crying and you, you know, are just stuck and kind of paralyzed right now is a good indication of, um, you know, anxiety and not ADHD. And that also then um, if we're looking at, you know, a kiddo that's kind of stuck and they might be really upset and um, they might be crying and they just can't get over something that just happened or they are able to tell you that they're really worried about, you know, going to school today because they might have a sub again, substitute teacher, and they're just kind of stuck there. You know, that's a good indication too if this is happening consistently because with ADHD, you'll see more of a an underthinking, so to speak, as opposed to an overthinking that you see with anxiety. So you won't see that overthinking and that rumination and, um, you know, just really digging in and getting stuck on these thoughts more so than not. It's just kind of in the moment and out of the moment with ADHD, um, which in that way can sometimes be a, be a good thing, can be a, a good thing sometimes too, but but you don't necessarily see that perseveration when it comes to the thoughts and the emotions. It's just kind of, oh, this is where we are, boom, and then um, we're moving on from that pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, Um, and that makes sense. I think, you know, definitely looking at situationally, like what's going on, because 
like like you said, a child who has anxiety that's looking like ADHD, it's not going to look like that across the board in every environment, every situation. And I think that's a good way to differentiate is what's happening right now. You know, is it bedtime? Is it time to go to school? Is it time to do homework? You know, is that when you're seeing an amp up of those behaviors or if it's across the board? And a lot of parents and the ones that are probably going to be listening today, you know, have both because they have kids with anxiety um, and ADHD. So I want to dive in to what you see as the biggest struggles and maybe some concrete ways that parents can can help their kids when they have these dual diagnoses and they're they're dealing with a child who is getting stuck and perseverating and is really ruminating and getting anxious, but also has the anxiety the ADHD component, which can be super tricky. Yes. I think, you know, just off the top, really, you know, knowing and this is, you know, something that you always touch on, which is so helpful. And that's just the reality and the awareness of how challenging it is to parent a child that does have um, these emotional and behavioral challenges, because it's a lot. If you have a kiddo who is experiencing anxiety symptoms and ADHD symptoms, that's a lot. It's a lot of chaos. It's a lot of wear and tear, not only on, you know, your child's little nervous system, but also on the parents, right? So we're being bombarded with all of these behaviors and, um, you know, they're dysregulated and then we become dysregulated sometimes, um, you know, as a process of osmosis because we're in this chaotic environment. And so it is really, you know, it's, that is a complex child that parents are dealing with if they're working with both of these diagnoses. And that is good to know because it's good to, to give yourself a break. It's good to know that it's not you, right? We like to make it about us and we like to think, you know, feel like we could have had some control over it or that we really can have, you know, we can control it. Of course, we have some control of certain things without a doubt, but we're not always in control of it. And so to know, you know, I'm not a bad parent. There wasn't anything I did to cause this. This isn't bad parenting or permissive parenting or whatever kind of, you know, anything having to do with, with the way that you um, are interacting with your kid um, is good to remind yourself and to know that, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a difficult challenge, right? Inherent to the word challenge, but also what are challenges? Challenges are amazing opportunities for growth, really. And I haven't always had that sunny disposition towards it. You know, in the earlier years, um, things were hard. Things were really hard. And now, um, you know, that we've had had time and we've been on this journey for a while, um, I do 100% view it as something that I think helps, has helped, can really help kids to grow and learn about themselves in ways that we're not typically really challenged to do, you know, and um, learn, you know, insights on themselves and also us as parents, just an invitation to really figure out, you know, how, okay, now I need to, this isn't going the way I thought it would go. They're not, my kid is not reacting the way that I thought they'd react. I need to dig in a little bit here and I need to, you know, make a pivot most likely 
some instances, maybe not, you know, sometimes that parenting can be a great fit for that. Often we need to make a pivot because our kid is not responding um, the way that we thought they would. And then we need to kind of just get humble and get curious and explore other ways of um, interacting with a kid that is just really smart and, and challenging and always has a brain that's always on the go and is often really determined and has their own set of ideas. And it's not just going to go with whatever, you know, buy whatever we're selling. Mm. So, so I think, Oh, I'm just now saying my first thing that was like a preface to it, <laughs> a really long preface. But, um, but the first thing really I'd say is his being open to turning that microscope on ourselves as a parent and figuring, taking responsibility for ourselves and our interactions in the parent-child equation, because the heavy reality is, is that, you know, our kids are not going to, they need a lot of help. They need a lot of extra support in the areas of, you know, managing themselves, managing their behaviors, and managing their emotions. And the biggest way that we can support our kids with this is by modeling, you know, what we want to see and modeling what we want to teach to them. And that is hard when you have a kiddo who has their own thoughts, their own ideas can sometimes be pretty, you know, pretty determined, pretty kind of rigid on what they want to do and how they can do it. And so being open to looking at that and, okay, am I, how am I handling myself in these situations when I'm overwhelmed with my child? Am I able to regulate my emotions? You know, maybe what does that even mean? A lot of us weren't taught these things when we um, were raised, you know, we didn't know the importance of emotional intelligence and how, wow, it makes a big difference. If you know what's happening within yourself, you can manage it, you know, be able to cope with it and move on in a productive way makes a huge a huge deal in how you can move through life in the short term and in the long term. So uh, maybe looking at some of these things for the first time and kind of exploring, you know, what are my, what am I reacting to? What are my triggers? Um, what does, what maybe are things from my own childhood and from <clears throat> how I was parented that I'm clinging on to that maybe aren't working with my kid now. And I need to um, try some, try some other ways based on what, we now know um, we have a lot of great resources now. It's a benefit of being in this busy, crazy world also is that we have a lot of resources and we have a lot of science and we have um, knowledge on the brain and knowledge on um, behavioral science that, you know, we know that lots of different things can really help support our child and a child who has behavioral and emotional needs. So digging in, taking responsibility and really trying to, be the parent, um, you know, that show up as the characteristics that you want to see in your child or that you're hoping to foster over time in in your child. Um, So that's the first one. I'd say I was talking about this yesterday with my husband and I asked him, you know, what, what do you feel like are the biggest thing just to give, get a different perspective? Because sometimes I just so in it all the time that it like I need a little bit of an outsider somewhat perspective of um you know what do you think is are the biggest challenges um and he brought up something I thought was really interesting and so true and that is these the same challenges popping up 
day after day after day after day after day, and seemingly sometimes not seeing much progress with them, and sometimes seeing no progress for a period of time. And this is really a flagship of ADHD. You know, we still, it takes a long time for parents to realize my kid's not just all of a sudden going to wake up and be able to do these things. These behaviors are not a choice. It's not a behavioral issue. It's, you know, it's a neurobiological issue. These things are a part of the way that a child is wired and having expectations that are not congruent with the reality and their level of, you know, their abilities and their level of functioning is just going to be a big trap and just a huge never-ending source of frustration. So once we, you know, once we know, really, you know, familiarize ourselves and educate ourselves around what specifically are the behaviors that are inherent to ADHD? There's a lot of little things that, you know, we won't have time to touch on in our interview time today, but there's so many little things inherent um, to ADHD that are, that are normal and so normal in that context. But then parents can say a big example of one is lying. Um, parents are really triggered commonly by lying, but there really are, you know, neurological underpinnings to why that happens, you know, why that impulsively happens and how, um, you know, environmentally, how that happens. And it it makes sense. And there's ways to work with it. But if we don't know that, and we just assume, if we just look at behaviors for, you know, what we see on the surface without really understanding what's driving them underneath, we don't get a chance to dig into that deeper understanding and we don't get a chance to really learn more about how our kid ticks, why they do what they do so that we can then support them and approach them in a much more helpful, effective way. If we're, you know, just kind of going after the dandelion head all the time and, you know, going after the behavior and only focusing on what we can see and attributing our own assumptions and biases or whatever to it, we're never going to get a chance to really penetrate the root of why these things are happening and learn that, you know, it's not our child's choice. Our child's not trying to, you know, push our buttons or give us a hard time or whatever it is. Our, our child is struggling. They have these, these challenges that are invisible and, can be very difficult to garner understanding and support from the outside world because they are oftentimes really invisible. So that being said, those things do, you know, they're continuous ongoing struggles and challenges. And so it can feel like also there's working memory issues, you know, specifically with ADHD that literally make it impossible sometimes for kids to pull what they learned yesterday and apply it to what they're doing today. So it's this dynamic of, you know, hitting our head against a brick wall. We, we just talked to you about this yesterday. You know, we just went through this or how many times have we, and that's going to be, you know, the way that it is. We're going to have to be in it for the long haul. Like you said, this learning curve. And I like the highlight of parents. One, your first point was model. Because I really think kids learn more 
from our behavior than from our words. So I like the whole modeling, um, self-regulation, how we're going to handle our child who is going to have difficult behavior is going to actually teach our child with difficult behavior. So I love that. And then the second point that you made is educate yourself on the ADHD symptoms because so much of what you're saying, um, I'm sure a lot of parents resonate with, you know, that there's no learning curve and they find themselves saying stuff like, I just told you yesterday, or why are you lying about that? Um, or, you know, calm down and just sit there. Can you just relax for a second? So knowing if your expectations are unrealistic is awesome because I think if you and your partner, whoever's in your family can look up and really study and understand ADHD, you're, you're going to realize that your child isn't trying to upset you. They're not trying to be difficult. We don't want to crush their self-esteem. So it's, you know, it's, gauging your expectations with your child's ability to to meet them. But I know you have a third point. So let's quickly get to that one. Okay. Um, so just the, the last, you know, really big challenge can just be managing, you know, the small little day-to-day things, simple things that come really neat, easily and naturally for most of us can be really difficult and challenging for a kiddo with ADHD. So and a great example is, you know, getting ready for school in the morning. So a kid who does not have executive functioning deficits is really able most of the time, should be able most of the time to be able to, you know, okay, wake up, let's get dressed, you know, we know the routine, move through their morning routine, brush their teeth, brush their hair, make it down, you know, for breakfast. Um, They can take usually and listen to simple directives. So, okay, it's time to get your stuff done. Okay. They know what that means. They know that means X, Y, and Z. And then I go downstairs for the kiddo with ADHD. That is very ambiguous and they're not going to be able to move through something, you know, super, super, simple like that and they're going to need support they're going to need it broken down and they're going to need it um, to be told you know okay what do we do first you know with motor planning as a part of executive functioning where do I go with myself first um, and how do I get there so okay bathroom teeth hair um, you know whatever it is teeth hair could trust um, so finding little ways to support them is a, is a really big deal, um, with that and breaking things down and making it specific, but on the whole, things like that, they're going to need many, many more reminders, many more prompts, many more redirections. Um, and this, you know, this is hard because it's daily, it's a taxing thing, um, to have to feel like you're asking the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and the things seem very easy and this trips up a lot of parents and, you know, looking at a child who is, you know, neurotypical, it's amazing to see the difference of how they can just move through life. They can just move through that morning routine with no stress at all. And then a kiddo who has, has challenges, um, you know, really just needs support and they need help scaffolding those skills and they need their hand help literally sometimes to get into routines and to do some of those easy things. So, you know, how do I, another example is cleaning my room. My kid won't clean his room. That's a big deal. That's really overwhelming to somebody who struggles with executive functioning. There's a lot of planning and organizational skills that go into that. So these things that parents see as um, this should be easy right? This should be easy. This is simple. This isn't too much. I'm just asking you to go clean your room. 
I'm just asking you to get ready for school, put your stuff in your backpack, get out to the car. Come on, you can do this. That's not the reality. Some days they will be able to do it. Some days, many days, they'll need support. And that is okay. That does not mean that we're, you know, doing too, we're over-functioning for them and we're going to be, you know, making it hard for them to learn these skills for themselves. Not at all. This is where we need to look at what's going on right now, right? We need to be in the moment with our kid and we need to meet them where they're at, not where we're not looking at the top of the dandelion. We're looking underneath at the root and we know that they will have these challenges with things that we can't really understand. And they kind of make us, you know, scratch our head and how can that be hard? You know, and that's where this always goes back to kids. Kids always want to do well. They're going to do the best that they can. And if they're struggling, you know, we, it's our job to figure out why that is, what's going on under the surface and how can we help support them. And that is only going to help them help model those skills, help their brain learn how to embody, internalize these skills, help them to see, okay, I'm going to put my stuff in my backpack like that. And they can still do it. We're just maybe giving them verbal prompts or, you know, whatever support um, that they might need. But little things that we just chalk up to, you're not, you know, you're choosing not to do this. You're lazy. This is simple. You know, I, I challenge parents to look deeper and really try to think the best of their child and assume that their child's always trying their best and figure out, um, you know, how they can help them meet those challenges that just come with little small things with day-to-day activities. Yeah. And I, I love that. Cause I think if, if we look at our kids are trying their best and we don't, kind of just see it as oppositional behavior um, or they're just trying to be difficult or they just don't want to do it, you know, and we give them the benefit of the doubt, especially with the diagnosis like ADHD and struggling with executive functioning. And then I always try to look at it, whether it's anxiety or ADHD is, and I, I can only do this maybe 30% of the time, but that's still very good. <laughs> that like the, our job is to be their life teacher And so if I have a child who has executive functioning issues, I'm going to teach them how to organize themselves. I'm going to walk them through it. Like you said, scaffolding and, and eventually that they will be able to do those things for themselves. But when they're little, they're not, they're not going to even know how to do that. So I think sometimes if you shift your perspective and you say, I'm their life coach and I have to, I have to coach them on how to help them with their executive functioning and organize themselves you know, if they have to clean their room, I'm going to compartmentalize it and say, see that one corner, do that corner first. And I'm going to have to sit there and I'm going to have to monitor it in a supportive, loving sort of way. And then when my child's a teenager, they're going to know, okay, let me just look at the first corner. So I think shifting your perspective too can be so helpful. Of, you know, I'm, I'm in a teaching mode instead of they're making us late or they're being lazy or I don't have to do this with my other kids. Those mindsets are just going to hold you back make you resentful, make you frustrated, and you're not going to be in the right mind to help your kids. So I like what you're saying. Dandelion, grow the dandelion. <laughs> Don't crush it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So where can people find you? I know you mentioned it in the beginning, but let's just make sure that that's clear because it sounds like you've got tons of good stuff on your website and on your Facebook page. Yeah. So they can find me at my website is parents with confidence. Um, I also have a active Facebook page for that website um, and also have a Facebook page 
children's mental health rocks where, where there'll be a lot of specific information on ADHD and anxiety. And I write a lot about, um, about ADHD on, on my website for sure and have a lot of resources. Awesome. And I'm, there's other topics too that you brought up that would be amazing to look into. So I will leave links below so that people can access you pretty easily. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Super glad to have been able to come on. Well, I hope you found that helpful. I think she's got so many good ideas and a good perspective on how to parent a child with both anxiety and ADHD. So definitely check out her website at parentswithconfidence.com. And before you go, if you're enjoying the podcast, there is an easy way to give back. You can hit a star on iTunes and rate the show or wherever you consume this episode or this podcast. If you want to take an extra few seconds and write a review, that is super appreciated. And I always like to show my gratitude to people who take the time and effort to give back and let me know how I'm changing their lives and their children's lives. I always like to read the review. So today I want to give a shout out to Honey in the Moon. And she wrote, I'm a child and family therapist who is still fairly new in the field. And I'm so thankful to have discovered this podcast. I've been searching for more easily consumable resources on mental health, specific to kids and parenting approaches. And Natasha is a wealth of information in those areas. She is warm and very engaging as well. Thank you for your work, Natasha. Thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate that. And I always appreciate when I hear that other therapists are listening to the podcast and that we're supporting each other um, clinically. So that's also an awesome thing. All right. Well, I hope you all find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. When I first discovered Natasha, I was in a desperate place with my son and his anxiety was getting worse. And we had tried counseling and it was not going well. Natasha gave us practical tools. She wasn't like the books that we had read that were, you know, you have three kids, but somehow you can magically spend 10 hours a day on your one anxious kid and just you know, life is great for the other two. She's helped me understand OCD on a level that no therapist I have come across seems to understand. Natasha had practical real life advice that we started implementing the day that we listened to them. Not only did it help with our son's anxiety, it helped my husband and I to recognize um, the anxiety that we had in our parenting that was actually contributing to our children's anxiety. Her tools are, I mean, life-changing. She has been amazing, and I'm so thankful for the work that she provides to all of us who have children um, who battle anxiety and OCD. It is so exciting to see him about a year later, just thriving in school. She really has guided us the whole way, and without her, our lives would be very different very grateful. My husband and I are forever grateful to Natasha Daniels for helping us to figure out where to even start with anxiety. If you have a child with anxiety or OCD, she is your go-to woman. Parenting a child with anxiety is not easy and sometimes it feels hopeless and um, in a desperate time in my journey with my son, I started searching the internet and found Natasha Daniels. She has been a lifesaver. Her resources have given me hope. They've given me tools and support. And I I highly recommend her and her resources. They are phenomenal. And they're some of the best resources you can find out there for anxiety and OCD. 
Hi, my name is Natasha Daniels, and I understand what it's like to raise kids with anxiety and OCD. I'm doing it every single day. And I also know what it feels like to empower them, to give them the skills and tools to help themselves, to watch them blossom, face their fears, and become more than their anxiety and more than their OCD. And I want to do that for you as well. Join me in the AT Parenting Community, where I partner with you and walk alongside you in your journey, helping you getting to know your family and your child's particular needs and particular struggles. I'll help guide you and walk you through ways to empower your own kids and see success in your house. You will finally have someone in your corner who not only has the understanding of your struggle, but has the expertise and knowledge to help get you through it. You can find out more about the AT Parenting Community at atparentingcommunity.com or you can text all one word AT Parenting Community to 44222. Together we can do this. She's really good and I hope that I'll be like her. I have had OCD for over five years. I have trained my brain and you can do the same thing.